1: I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. We are always searching for meaning. By we, I mean humans, all of us. We always want to know why this thing or that thing happened to us. Some people believe there's a master plan, a creator. Others believe it's all random. Personally, I think I fall somewhere in between, and it comes down to writing. I've been using writing since middle school to make sense of my life. Writing has helped me to go back in time to look at traumatic events that have happened and tease out the hidden meanings. It doesn't necessarily give me the big why, as in why in the world did this happen, but it often gives me the smaller whys. I'm talking about the retrospective, I'm talking about the retrospective view, giving us the lessons in an experience. We pull way back and we can see one step led to another, led to another, and what we stood to gain or lose in the experience. We can see where the life lessons are. It's like finding breadcrumbs in a dark forest. We can't necessarily control an out-of-control situation like cancer, but writing about it can help us feel less lost in the randomness of it all. My guest today is Tamira Jubber. Tamira was 29 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her story is one about finding meaning in life experiences that spanned from a childhood in Zimbabwe to a sudden departure to the U S and then to a cancer diagnosis that ran parallel to her sister donating a kidney to a stranger. It's a lot, but ultimately this is the story of one woman asking why her life path has led where it has and discovering some answers along the way through the help of a few decades view and some unexpected twists that led to chance encounters. Welcome to The Burn, Tamira. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here and so excited for you to read your story. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to this. Excellent. So the story you're reading for us today is called Linda, My Tamoxifen Tester. And this was a piece that you wrote for Wildfire Magazine's Bay Area Young Survivors issue. That was an issue in which we showcased the young women who were diagnosed with breast cancer while living in the San Francisco Bay Area. After you read, I am excited to talk to you about tamoxifen, post-diagnosis depression, and writing to make sense of it all. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. All right, Tamara, I'll let you take it away. Okay. I have
0: one of the most unique stories of how I came to be where I am today. Right from the moment of my existence, born to a young Zimbabwean interracial couple in a small town, I was going through trials without even knowing it. After spending the first few years of my childhood isolated from outside family, as my parents had run away and gotten married against the wishes of both parents, my young sister and I were welcomed into our families on both sides. While our white relatives were often ashamed of us and would deny us in public, our black relatives thought we were royalty due to our beautiful tan complexions and luscious brown curls. Zimbabwe is pretty racist. Often, my sister and I were outcasts from both races and called Gothels, which is a derogatory term for the child of a mixed-race couple. Eventually, my parents became successful business owners, having the largest printing company in Zimbabwe. And as preteens, we were lucky enough to travel to Holland, the country of my dad's origin, and to the U.S. on vacation. I remember a wonderful childhood and a massive, beautiful home with a pool, frequent camping and hunting trips with my dad, and Sunday lunches with cousins. In December of 2003, Zimbabwe became a land of chaos and corruption, with rigged elections in the start of a genocide, my parents let my sister and I know that we would be leaving the very next day for a surprise Christmas vacation to the U.S. I absolutely couldn't believe it, and I was thrilled. We left excited, only to sit next to my dad on the plane and have him say, Look carefully out the window, Tam. You will never see this place again. My heart sank and my eyes welled with tears. He explained that we would be leaving asylum when we got to the U.S. and that we were dangerously close to being executed as a family. Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe, had turned into a dictator when a bill he backed failed to pass. He wanted to take back some of the white farmer-owned land, some of which my family owned, and distribute it to war veterans from the 1980 Battle of Independence, gaining freedom from British colonial rule that turned our country from Rhodesia into liberated Zimbabwe. Although the people voted no, Mugabe decided he would send his war vets to seize whatever land anyway. The style of the so-called Moorvets was to beat the workers of the farm as a warning and arrive a couple days later to tie up, savagely beat, and burn the family alive if they were stupid enough to hang around. The savagery moved quickly through all the farms, forcing my first set of cousins to flee Zimbabwe and move to the U.K., My dad and a few of his employees were printing flyers for the opposition to promote change in the upcoming election. He would drive around the throwing them on the street for a win. At the time, Mugabe had an executive order for banning cameras for fear media would catch wind of the atrocities or any type of support for the opposing party, MDC, which stood for Movement for Democratic Change. My dad had taken incognito pictures of ballot boxes being emptied into trash dumps and refilled with ballots from trucks. Unfortunately, one of his employees ended up joining the militia and landed him out to the Zimbabwean army. Our gardener had been beaten within an inch of his life and left at our front door with a threatening note, which made my parents scramble and buy tickets for the following day to the U.S. The U.S. was the only country we had valid visas for at the time. Because my sister and I went to a convent with daughters of many government officials, my parents couldn't risk us learning about that we were moving to America. Using my dad's pictures and presenting the death threat granted us asylum, and with extreme relief, we started to rebuild our lives in the U.S. Fast forward. When I was diagnosed triple positive, stage 3b breast cancer in May of 2016, I had just turned 29. I was in the prime of my life, only to find out I now have to take medication and live with constantly changing side effects every single day until I eventually can't fight the cancer anymore and succumb to my fate. I sank into a depression I couldn't pull myself out of. That's when my sister called me, and I had no idea my whole story was about to close in a beautiful circle. She had made the decision to become a living kidney donor for her co-worker that had been on the waiting list for four years. At first, I was a bit ticked off at her. I thought it was irresponsible. She was a mother to a beautiful daughter and a charming special needs son. What if they needed a kidney and she was the only match? What if one of our parents needed a kidney? I could never be a donor while in treatment, so what could they do? Was she just doing this for attention? Despite all the warnings and accusations, she decided to proceed with the donation. Just two weeks before the surgery, she received a call from her co-worker's wife telling her that he had fallen on the stairs. He was unconscious and hanging on to life the last few years. She could cancel her surgery completely or proceed and donate her kidney to a stranger and receive four vouchers that could be used by her or direct family in the future to receive a kidney without having to wait should that moment ever happen. For her, this was a no-brainer. In June of 2020, my sister Victoria donated her kidney. She was allowed to leave a note for the recipient, but understood that it would only be delivered if the recipient requested to communicate with their donor. She wrote a heartfelt note, not expecting a reply. Two months later, she received an email from her recipient. His name is Gene. He lives in Texas, and he has been on the waiting list for a kidney for 17 years. He and his wife had never had kids, and friends and family were a match, so he was in limbo just waiting for the text that would change his life, letting him know he had a match. Jean and Victoria started communicating back and forth via email and eventually had a FaceTime where they got to meet for the first time. That day, Victoria met Linda, Jean's wife, who was fighting hard against metastatic breast cancer. Here's the full circle. Linda was diagnosed with hormone-positive breast cancer at 23. She was one of the very first trial patients to take tamoxifen as part of her treatment, the hormone and cancer cell suppression that I'm currently on. At that time, no one knew tamoxifen could cause women to become sterile. So while they tried, Linda and Jean had never conceive. Linda went through all available treatments and then proceeded to take tamoxifen for five years and live cancer-free until 2019 when metastasis was discovered in almost every area of the body. Linda and Jean were so worried he would never receive a kidney and therefore be unable to take care of her she was his caregiver at the time. They knew that she eventually would need to move into hospice, and Jean wouldn't even be able to visit her. All of this changed when they received my sister's kidney. Just two months after the surgery, he was driving her to all of her appointments, feeling amazing, and able to give her the care she needed. A month ago, my sister showed me a video of Linda, my hero, my tamoxifen tester. She's frail now, bones protruding, a shadow of her former healthy self. Her speech is slurred from painkillers and a feeding tube is taped to her nose. I lost control, frightened by her decline in the My sister held my shoulders and looked at me. Don't be upset, dude. She says she's lived an amazing life. She found her love. She traveled the world. She cared for the love of her life and lived 29 years beyond her original diagnosis. She lived longer than she thought she would and got the satisfaction of seeing her husband healed. She said she believes the transplant is the real reason we ended up in America. And she's ready to go now. I felt a wave of peace come over me. This is why I came to America. I get it now. Jean was meant to get my sister's kidney, and I was meant to meet Linda. It's not that I get to suffer for an unknown amount of years. I get to live. And if she did everything I did and got another 29 years, I need to snap out of my death titty fog and get to enjoying this precious, long life I have before me. I feel a complete peace and I am no longer afraid of the end. Like every other stage of my life, it will come when it's time, and like I always to, I'll survive that experience too. Everything will be okay, and my circle of life will
1: be complete. Tamara, thank you so much for that. Thank you for reading. It was beautiful. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Myra and I are going to chat about tamoxifen, science, post-diagnosis depression, writing, and more. Hi, my name is Bonica Cajaro, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was diagnosed with invasive lobular carcinoma when I was 42 years old. Um, Wildfire Magazine has been a great tool in my wellness toolbox. Um, Reading the magazine, participating in writing workshops, and having contributed some essays to past issues has really validated me and helped me process through um, a lot of the pain associated with my cancer diagnosis and made me feel less alone. I'm really grateful for Wildfire Magazine. Thank you so much for the love, Monica. Thank you for that. All right, welcome back to Myra. Thank you again for your writing. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this.
1: Absolutely. So you wrote this story, um, a little bit ago, maybe about a year ago. I know that you are no longer in California. Do you want to give us a quick update on where you are now, both physically and in terms of your, um, cancer treatment? Yes. So
0: right now, actually right before
1: COVID. My
0: husband and I decided to move to Colorado Springs, which is where the majority of both sides of our family is. And so we're out in the Rocky Mountains, loving life here. And um, treatment-wise, I'm in a great place. I'm switching from being checked every six months to just one year. I'm on to match the funds team, to match the funds for at least another. I think nine
1: years. I'm on a fifteen-year plan, and yeah, I do some online work, and life is wonderful. Uh, I love to hear that. So, I there's a couple things in your story I want to unpack, and one is um, let's talk about Team Tamoxifen for a second. One of the things I love to hear in your story is this example of how science can advance and how the people diagnosed before us can pave the way for our own treatments. And I love that you got to see this in Linda and have that full circle, um, it's incredible that you not only got to meet someone who had been diagnosed young as well and had lived so long herself, but that you guys are on a similar treatment. Can, is there anything else you want to share about that, seeing that view of kind of science playing out before you?
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, a lot of my journey and my cancer experience has been kind of looked at with a bit of a, mi- a microscope in the sense that we are in this younger age bracket and it's really not meant to happen so soon at such an aggressive stage. And it was so affirming and at the same time wonderful and amazing to make someone completely unrelated to me in any spectrum of the cancer realm, have gone through what I've gone through and have loved so long without mentions of the brutal side effects. For the first time, I felt like I'm not the one providing data to the future, I'm actually using data from a past experience for me now in 2021 and 2022. And there's not a lot of super positive information out there on taking these hormone suppressants. Uh, But I feel like my attitude and everything completely changed. I mean, it's tried and true. And it just made me feel much more determined and able to stick with my regimen.
1: Absolutely. I really love how you wrote about this defining moment, this moment when everything shifted for you in meeting Linda. And I want to talk about the time just prior to that, when you were going through um, a post-diagnosis, post-kind of active treatment depression for all that had happened to you and all that was kind of cascading down on you in terms of the realization of what was was happening and the reason i want to highlight that is because i find that it is extremely common that people going through cancer treatment i think that actual number from the american cancer society is 25 percent of people diagnosed with cancer will experience depression And so I want to just commend you for for talking about that and for sharing that in your story and then also this moment that shifted it for you. Yes, thank
0: you for bringing that up. It's, It's just something that you cannot escape when you are diagnosed with a terminal illness. It seems like the focus of your potential in life changes to... An hourglass that's running out of time. And there was nothing I could really tell myself to come out of that feeling of, I'm just running out of time. And in retrospect, I really needed to kind of have that shaking and assurance of, you did go through a lot of suffering to get where you are, but the after all of that, It's time. And so I can give myself a break. There's nothing else I can do right now. I've done everything the doctors gave me. Um, Now it's about turning that time into... I can actually allow myself to think about the long term. I can have a five-year, 10-year, 15, 20-year plan. Of course, none of us can predict the future, but I actually feel the safety and an assurance letting my mind drift that way. And that shift completely changed my depressive state. It went from costing the time and living and waiting for bad news to, gosh, I love everything I can do today. I don't wanna, I'm not waiting for that bad call to come. It'll come when it comes, but today,
1: I'm thriving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I, it's interesting too, because I think, you know, your story is about in a way how science advanced and Linda being in this trial for tamoxifen paved the way for you to be on tamoxifen now. And now, maybe science hopefully will continue to advance and so whatever else comes you know whether it's for us or for someone else diagnosed later you know again we will give time and space for science to continue to advance and that like you said we don't have any uh guarantees but hopefully we can have time and time to, can, to continue to evolve right right and
0: um, actually I noticed there's something I did not uh, finish in my story or complete the loop on. Uh, when, she, when Linda was taking tamoxifen, there was at the time no understanding that it would cause you to be infertile. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I was diagnosed with breast cancer, one of the very first things that I did was I was led to meet with a fertility expert I was given the option to save my eggs, which I did do. And right now, today, is nothing stopping me from pursuing being a biological parent. And so I attribute that to her, too. She had, no, like, many, many, many women were taking it and had no idea. And now, the beautiful news with bad news, which is you don't need to lose your motherhood. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I give her a huge virtual hug and send so many good wishes her way because that's a huge deal, her taking that to my friend and us doing the research, and that's no longer incredible.
1: Yes. Thank you for, for bringing that back around. It's such a big deal for those of us diagnosed young, this fertility question, mm-hmm. and to have more knowledge again so that the experience can be different and better for the next person is tremendous so thank you for that you're welcome yeah tamara thank you so much for being here with me today i want to just redirect our listeners to the piece that you read was called linda my tamoxifen tester and it was in the february 2021 issue of wildfire called bay area young survivors they can find that in the archives Tamara, if people want to find you online or know more about you, is there anywhere they can look? Yes, so actually I am reachable via my Instagram handle, which is me
0: and her to new, N E New. Me and her to new, Um which her to know is the third component of cancer diagnosis, breast cancer diagnosis, so that's the the little phrase to remember there. Um, And I'm also on the board of a company that is enabling small business owners to start their own businesses um, in CBD products, which I found extremely helpful during my recovery process and I'm quite passionate about, so I'm using my marketing skills and previous corporate knowledge and CBD testing knowledge to enable some other entrepreneurs out there. So one-stop CBD business is the website and me and her to new is my Instagram handle.
1: Excellent. Thank you for that. And and yet another example of just science continuing. Um, So thanks for your work in that area. And thank you again for being here.
0: Hey, most welcome, April, thank you so much for inviting me. This is amazing, and I'm such a huge fan of Wildfire. Thank you. Thank you I look so forward nice. to participating in the future writing exercise. This is very healing and
1: beautiful for uh, Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. Well, thank you everyone. You've been listening to The Burn today. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat with Tamara. Our producer is Bill Smith of shoe production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories, visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode to find our more than 30 issues in the wildfire archives and to take a writing workshop with me, discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to the burn and listen to it wherever you go. Here's today's writing prompt. I want you to, as always, set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The question, what is the question? They say that every piece of memoir writing has a question at its heart that the author is trying to answer. So I want you to write down what some of those big questions are that you still have about your cancer experience. How can I? Will I? Should I? Why? You can write these as a list or you can write the story that follows, but I want you to explore those big questions you still have about your experience. Write for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.